go ahead and take a seat and pull out your Bibles and something that you can take notes with tonight. Go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to Colossians chapter 2. Everybody thinks that the Christmas story is Luke 2, but little known fact, Colossians 2. We're changing the whole thing. No, I'm kidding. Colossians chapter 2. Merry Christmas, everybody. There's more people in the room than that. Merry Christmas. We can be, still be happy on Christmas. That's good. Kiddos, how are we doing? Everybody doing well? If your kids are spreading out and going crazy, so is everybody else's. Don't feel like you're the one. You know, it's all good. We love the kids here, and if one of them ends up on stage, so be it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this evening. Welcome everybody uh, who is a normally a part of this house and friends and family and from out of town or just not normally going to church. We're so glad you're here. If this is kind of the one or two, one of two times you go to church a year, we're really glad you're here tonight and uh, we're excited to be together for Christmas Eve. So Colossians chapter two, if anybody's there, just say, I'm there. And if you're distracted and keeping your eyes on your kids, just say, I, I, I have kids in here. It's kids. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. That's what we do around here. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, there's more. In him also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We are so thankful for the opportunity to stand and read it aloud together. And again, we ask you, Holy Spirit, speak to us in our time together. Reveal yourself to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Austin said this at the beginning of our service, but throughout this month, if you've not been with us on Sunday mornings, we've been doing an Advent series by looking at the lives of three people who were, who sort of were uniquely close to Jesus. We started off looking at the Apostle John, and we heard from him about the, what, what the arrival of Jesus meant to John, and he records Jesus' words to us when Jesus tells us that because of Jesus, we are invited to live 
with Jesus's life flowing through us instead of trying to live our lives, trying to impress Jesus all the time and impress God all the time. We looked at the apostle Peter, who was another close disciple of Jesus, and he had his ups and he had his downs. Kind of like my dad is at his ups and his downs he shared, right? He's at his ups and his downs. But at the end of Peter's life, he's looking back and he's encouraging believers in Jesus that though your faith, your faith might be tested, it will be tested, and sometimes it seems like it's tested by fire, hold on to that faith because because of the, G, the arrival of Jesus, that faith is worth more than gold. That faith in him, even when you are faithless, Jesus is faithful. And so hold on to that faith by which you will obtain the salvation of your souls. And we looked at Paul last week, a, a unique apostle of the faith who had everything, had everything there was to have, but claimed to have this encounter with Jesus. And the way Paul's life's turned around, the only explanation for it is you have to believe that he really did encounter Jesus the way he claimed to have encountered Jesus. And like Peter, Paul is at the end of his life and he's writing to other believers and he's testifying and he looks back and he basically looks back on his life and he says, everything I had and everything I could have had, I considered all garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what it means to me, Paul says, that Jesus has come. He's better than everything. We've been talking about what the arrival of Jesus, this word Advent, the arrival of Jesus means for different people, John and Peter and Paul. But I think it's appropriate that we have to kind of ask the question that maybe hasn't been dealt with explicitly yet. What does the arrival of Jesus mean to you? It's great that you can articulate what it meant to John or Peter or Paul. But what does the arrival of Jesus mean for you? We're reading in Colossians this evening. It was originally a letter written by Paul, the same Paul I was just talking about. It was written to a church in the city of Colossae that Paul probably had never gone to. But he was in a city, Paul went to a city called Ephesus and started a church there. There was a guy from Colossae there who got saved and went back to Colossae himself and started this church. So this letter is probably about 10 years after all of that happening. There's now a community of believers in the city. And Paul wishes he could go there, but he is stuck in jail in Rome waiting his execution for his faith. He never got to go see these people, and so he's writing them some parting words and he's heard about some of the things that they're, they're dealing with as, like Peter promised us, as their faith is tested. The Colossians were living in a city that was fine with Jesus as long as he sort of jived with everything else they had going on. All their other kind of gods and opinions and preferences and idols and all of these sort of things and their philosophies and their ideas. As long as, as, long as all of those things could stick around while Jesus stuck around, Jesus is great. Basically, as long as Jesus just meant something, Jesus is great. But they started running into problems when they started confessing that Jesus didn't mean something. He meant everything. He meant everything. And I think it always seems right on Christmas Eve that we recognize that we are constantly facing the same question that the Colossians were facing. And we engage this question regularly in our lives, and we should talk about it in our short time together on Christmas Eve. What does the arrival of Jesus mean for you? Does it mean time off? 
and presents and delicious food and some time with friends and family? In other words, does the arrival of Jesus just mean kind of some good things that you can actually have without Jesus at all? So in the end, the arrival of Jesus means nothing? Or does, does, it, does it functionally mean nothing for you? Or does his arrival mean everything for you? What, and what would it even look like for that to mean everything for us? Why would the coming of Jesus mean everything to us? And this is the letter that Paul writes to Colossians. Challenging them, encouraging them, reminding them. This arrival of Jesus, it means everything for you. Don't, don't dumb it down. Don't let it go. It means everything. And he explains what it actually means for it to mean everything. Our scripture starts this morning or this evening. <laughs> Usually it's the morning when I'm up here. You get in the habits, you know. Colossians 2 verse 6, it says, Therefore, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, do you hear the Lord speaking to you through Paul, through a letter to Colossae's to you this evening? Therefore, since, or as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Jesus coming, Jesus coming means that Jesus can be received. God didn't just come. He came in such a way that he could be received. He came so that he could be received. And he actually came in a way that he could be received such that you can actually not just receive him, but you can actually walk in him. God came. You can receive him and you can actually walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Actually, not only can you walk in him, this scripture feels like uh, it's not much of a suggestion. This isn't like just an option that's out there. It's an exhortation as if it's expected, as if it's actually really possible. Dare I say normal (laughs) to walk your life in Christ, and Christ in you. Verse 7 continues the sentence. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This, This walking in Christ Receiving him, walking in him, it has results. It it brings something about in you. It brings out you being rooted, built up, and established. No longer vacillating constantly in the winds of circumstances and emotions and politicians and seasons of life and people and all of the things that come, including even when your worst nightmares come true, you're no longer vacillating in all of these different things, but you are now in him rooted, built up, and established in faith. You're rooted and built up and established in something other than this world, in faith. The Bible tells us that faith, it's, it's not just this concept, it's, it's, it's a conviction that God is real. I am rooted in the fact that God is real, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
That sounds kind of out there. What does that mean? Well, Christmas tells us that the way that God rewards those who seek him is by rewarding them with himself. I am rooted in this reality, rooted in this conviction, built up and encouraged that God is real. And he rewards me as I seek him, not just with things, but with his very presence. And walking in him, it results in an abundance of thanksgiving. No longer drowning in anxiety because you now know the one who holds both you and the future. No longer just living discontent and uneasy in the present, but at peace. Because the eternal Prince of Peace is in the present with you. And you are in him. Not running from the regret or the pain of the past, but forgiven, made completely new by grace, not by some merit. Verse 8 continues. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. See to it. Has the same kind of oomph behind it as our first verse, doesn't it? See to it. Parents with your kids, see to it that you don't speak up during church tonight. See to it. See to it. In other words, this isn't some far off fantasy land. You can see to it that you live in this reality. You can and you must see to it. Hear me again. You can and you must see to it. Otherwise, how is it that you plan to not be taken captive by the philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, and elemental spirits of the world? Outside of him who is, how is it that you plan on not being taken captive by bad philosophy? Outside of him who is truth, how do you plan on not being taken captive by empty deceit? Outside of him who is life, How do you plan on not being taken captive by small-minded humans, elemental spirits, and elementary principles that are telling you what life is and how it ought to be lived? See to it that you are filled with him. Filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority, the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. Verse 11 says... In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Jesus' arrival is not just good vibes and kumbaya. Jesus Arrived. He was, he was born so that we could be born again. He was buried so that we could be buried with him in baptism. He was raised so that we could be raised into that very new life. And you who were dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus does not forgive your sins by just being nice to you. He forgives your debt by paying it. He forgives the debt by paying it. There is a debt that you have incurred upon yourself in sin. And it stands against you with eternal legal demands. But God has come to nail that debt to the cross. It says that he might set it aside so that you can be raised to new life in him. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It is this paradox of freedom being found on a cross. Life being found in a burial. The fullness of God dwelling bodily in a baby that God disarms Every philosophy, lie, spirit, sin, and idea that would take you captive. And he puts them to shame by triumphing over them while lying in a manger. So which is it? Which is it? We know what Advent meant for John and for Peter and for Paul but what does Advent mean for you? Does it mean everything or does it mean nothing? Praise the Lord. Was that Evie? Way to go girl. This is always so good having the kids in here. They always do that. They always preach something. Evie, Evie, is it everything? Praise the Lord. I love you. Evie knows. I want you to stand this evening. We're going to take communion together and get ready to wrap up our time together on Christmas Eve. Kiddos, how are we doing? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's about, that's right on time. That's right. Kiddos, can we take communion together? Yeah. Awesome, all right. Let's try to be still for a second while we take communion. And then we're going to light some candles, which will be super cool. After we take communion and pray, our host team will come light some candles. You can pass it down, pass the flame down. Please don't get the wax on the seats, you know. John Gilbert can't get it out. Hey, what's up, girl? I knew some child would end up up here. (laughs) 
That's my little girl, so she can do what she wants, I guess. Would you get the elements and be ready to take communion together? As we take communion, I want to talk about what this is. This is an act that Jesus gave us, and it is in this act of eating the bread and drinking the blood that we make several confessions. We confess that Jesus Christ truly has come, the fullness of God dwelling bodily. We confess his death and his resurrection by which we are forgiven. We confess his baptism by which we die to sin and are raised to new life. And we confess that he is coming again when we will feast with him at his table for all of eternity. And as we spend this moment taking communion together, if you are here tonight and you don't make that confession, I'm so glad that you're here, but I would, I would encourage you along with scripture to not partake, partake in communion tonight. <laughs> My child almost threw up. If you are here tonight and you do make that confession, I encourage you, don't not take this with the body of Christ tonight. And if you're here tonight and you're ready to make that your confession, if you're far from God, that's okay. It happens. Yep, get it out. If you're here tonight, and you're far from God and you want to make that your confession. You are joyfully invited. Make that confession tonight. Come to him. Come to him. Receive his invitation. The one who has come for you in such a way that he might be received. That you might walk in him. That you might exchange your old life of sin and death and be rooted and built up and established in him, abounding in thanksgiving. That invitation is open for you tonight. And I invite you, if you'd like to make that decision, to make that confession tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your body broken for us in this bread. We thank you for your healing, and we pray that as we gather here and celebrate you tonight, that you would heal anybody here in every way that is needed, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Lord, we make you our confession that you really did come in a real body that really was broken for us. And we are seeing to it tonight that we receive you. Let's take together. And Lord, we thank you for this blood poured out for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. We make our confession tonight that there is no other name that can save us but the name of Jesus. There is no other philosophy or idea or tradition or spirit or principle, only Jesus. And we receive you and confess you tonight. Let's take together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these moments to pause and be together. And we pray that you would receive our lives as an offering back to you. That you would fill us with the Holy Spirit on this beautiful Christmas Eve as we lift up your name. Let's sing together. <laughs>